If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we've been working in Ephesians 3. This digression of Paul's, that's verses 1 through 13. We're going to look at verses 7 and on this morning, spend a little more time there. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. Let's read this and have prayer and we'll get started. Paul says, Of this gospel I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring the light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we stand before this word that rejoices in the testimony of the church, calling it the manifold wisdom, the work of your hands, the doings, of the covenant of redemption before the foundations of the world, the outworkings of your forgiveness and love for us, your justice that you met it out on Jesus Christ, that you've given to us as his righteousness to save us, to redeem us, to call us unto yourselves through the work of the Holy Spirit. Father, this passage is so rich. It culminates in this beauty, this glory that, that the church that sets here today March 5th, 2023, the church that sits here today on Sparks Avenue at Park Bible Baptist Church manifests your manifold wisdom, and it gives testimony to the principalities and powers, even to this day and throughout eternity. Father, may we marvel this morning at the freedom we get from understanding this light that's been given. Paul says that he, uh, he preaches this as a light or as shining light on a grand truth, the mystery of Christ. May we understand and know these things this morning, Father. May through the work of your Holy Spirit, through this word and the hearts of your people, overcome my simple words this morning to speak directly to the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us another week we have in, in the book of Ephesians, this little inclusion, this little digression of Paul's as he begins to, uh, well, he's really just trying to be a good pastor, I believe. He wants to make sure that uh, these Gentiles understand why he's suffering, because it's in suffering and evil we find some of the greatest questions, I believe, of Christianity. Uh, it's in that evil and suffering that we see, and we rightly turn back to the book of Job. And I'm just going to balance this a little bit with just a moment from Job this morning. Uh, this passage in Job 40, which is so precious, I believe, 
because we read of Paul's suffering, we see the suffering that goes on in this world, and we, we see that it is the, the church, the manifold wisdom of God that he is making known to all generations, that Paul is saying that we should not worry about his suffering, that we should not worry about the things we see in the world because God has the power, the sovereignty. He will bring everything to pass that he's bringing to pass. But it's in dealing with that suffering, and I don't mean to belabor that point too long this morning because this passage is full of great encouragement because we are the church, we are the light, we are the testimony to the world, we are the manifest wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God, the multifaceted wisdom of God that he is displaying, uh, and we are his answer for evil ultimately, Christ is, the gospel is, God will judge all evil in the gospel. So it's in the book of Job we rightly turn back and just glimpse at these things, because all throughout the book of Job, we read of his suffering, right? Right? In the beginning of that same book, we also learn that Job was an upright and blameless man, but therein lies the problem. In fact, Scripture says that twice. In the first chapter, it says it once. Again, in the second chapter, it's from God's own lips that he should be tested by Satan because he was an upright and a blameless man. And the whole book of Job forces the reader to deal with the most difficult question that man has ever faced, and that is, why do good people have to suffer? Why do innocent people, seemingly innocent people, have to suffer? And of course, throughout the book of Job, Job is begging this very question of God about suffering because great suffering had come to him for no apparent reason. He had lost everything. He had lost his family. He had lost all of his wealth. He lost everything. At the height of Job's struggle, though, we understand uh, his struggle to understand this question We read of Job's plea to God. There in chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, it says this. Job says to God, I loathe my life. I will give free utterances to my complaints. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. And again, you have to remember that Job had lost everything. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you're contending against me. Does it seem good to you to oppress to despise the work of your hands and favor the designs of the wicked. Man, there's so much in that one statement. To despise the work of your hands and favor the designs of the wicked. Sure seems like that sometimes when we look at our world, doesn't it? Like wicked is winning and the good is losing. At the heart of Job's plea was an accusation, though, about God. God was not being fair. Why do the good have to suffer and why does evil seem to prosper is what Job was asking kind of in a roundabout way. And of course that problem is twofold and I don't want to go too far into that because I want to show you how the church plays into that this morning from Ephesians. But first, there is nobody who's innocent. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it says in Romans 3. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and we all deserve judgment for that sin. So though Job was... Uh, said as an upright and blameless man, it doesn't mean that he was sinless man. Second, that Job, nor us, we, right, simply cannot know everything that God knows from beginning to end. He cannot see all of history and the perfect plan of God. Job couldn't see it in his day. He was blind to it because he didn't have the New Testament. But that's exactly what Paul is telling us, that these things have been revealed, that were not before revealed to the sons of men exactly, but have now been more clearly presented in the New Testament since the cross. We understand a lot more of what Job's answers would have been. 
It is a question a man can form no answer for, though, that Job is asking, really. And that is in the answer that God gave Job. I think it's very instructive. Uh, God's judgment and why good people suffer is something that man just can't deal with. It's a dilemma that man cannot resolve, ultimately. It's a question that gives us pause still today. I think a lot of people think of it, and they ask God those same questions. What was that question that Job asked God? And if you turn to the 40th chapter, we see in God's answering Job in the form of a question, um, the monumental depth of this question of Job's. Beginning in verse 40, we're going to start with verse 6. Well, let's just start with 1. The Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? That's God basically saying, You're a sinner, Job. Can you contend with me? Can you ask of me questions? Now, he would put it different ways. Can the, can the, can the thing that's made ask questions of its maker? Can the uh, clay ask questions of the potter? No, the potter, the maker, has mastery over the creation, right? Can you ask of me these things, Job? Then go down to verse 6. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. Will you put me in the wrong, he says? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Do you have an arm like God, Job? Can you thunder with a voice like his, Job? Verse 10, adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is a proud and abased. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked there where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. And then I will acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Here's the problem. And pouring out Job, if Job could pour out his overflowings of his anger, could bring all the proud low, could bind them all in the dust together to the world below, he would be convicting himself. He would be convicting himself. In other words, man has no good answer for the evil that he sees in the world, or it would be gone, wouldn't it? Because within man and man's own heart, that same evil and anger reside. So what is the answer for Job? What is God's plan? What is he doing? I mean, if, if this is not understandable and not abatable, how can we deal with evil today? So Job may not have the full answer to evil then, but we have the answer to evil today. The answer has been shown to us in the mystery of Christ. It's in the gospel and in Paul's writings that we can perceive and understand there as we read verses 9 through 11 back to the third chapter of the book of Ephesians. As we read verses 9 through 11, we can begin to understand that it's brought to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery that's hidden for the ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God may now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was, as the scriptures say, was according to the eternal purpose that he's realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. It was the plan first learned of there in the 10th verse of the first chapter as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. It was God's plan to recapitulate everything in Christ, whether it be saved because God had covered it in the blood of Jesus Christ or whether it be judged by Jesus Christ. 
And this is where freedom comes to light in the plan of God. Because it's in understanding that plan. It's in understanding the evil of Job that we ask those same questions. But it's here in chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians we begin to get answers to some of those questions. The first proposition I have for you this morning is that God's plan for the summation of all things will not be altered by sin or by evil. I know it seems like it today. I know it seems like sin and evil are rampant. It seems like things are getting worse around us, and I would agree with you that they are, but they're not out of God's control. God's plan for the summation of all things will not be altered by sin or by evil. How is that? Well, let me just tell you this morning that God has a plan that can't be altered. It cannot be stopped. And he's going to fulfill all of it in the gospel It is a plan before the foundations of the world to carry out everything that he's done. And whether it be looking like uh, in the first century when Jesus was crucified, that plan was foiled, or whether it be looking like that today when we look into our world and we see the evil, that plan is not foiled. And because it's not foiled, God is carrying it out perfectly before us. And we can rely on that fact and we can take comfort in that and we can be encouraged in that. Listen to me, beloved. God is doing in people and in the world exactly what he wants to get done to bring everything to pass that he's bringing to pass. And evil and sin cannot and will not stop that. Right? It cannot and will not stop that. Turn with me momentarily to the book of Psalms again. The 139th chapter. Psalms 139. Because, see, this is what happened. You see, in verse 7, very much so it says God had planned that Paul would become a preacher. God had planned that Paul would become a missionary to the Gentiles. God had planned that Paul would write 13 books in the New Testament. God had made a perfect plan about and for Paul as an apostle, as a missionary to the Gentiles, as a writer of the New Testament. And you can see that because he's done that for each one of you. God has made a perfect plan for each one of you, and nothing in this world is going to stop him from carrying out that plan for you. And we read of that plan in the 139 Psalms. I think about this from my own perspective. I had a a woman in counseling this week that was telling me that her previous counselors had told her that it would have been better if her father had never had children, and I never take that as a yes or an okay, because God has a perfect plan. Some children may seem like mistakes, but no children is, no child is ever a mistake. None. You know, and I stand on 20 plus years of fostering and adopting, knowing that God has a perfect plan for every child. So I, I, it came to me. God had a perfect plan for Paul, right? And we read of that in Psalms 139. I mean, it's, it's all over our scriptures, but Psalms 139 is perhaps, David is, is just going on here. If you start in verse 1, he tells you how much God has searched and he knows you. Even before he's created you, he knows, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. When I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my life. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, oh Lord, you know me altogether, right? David says, you hem me in behind before. 
God knew everything that he exactly wanted in David, and David is understanding that God is getting everything that he ever wanted and blessing David in the ways that he had as David began to become a follower of him and see God work through him. All of this had to come together, and he understood how intimate the master designer of all of creation, all of heaven and all of earth must have thought about him as he created him. And listen to the words he writes, verse 13. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. How intimate is that? Do you know that God thought that about you? It doesn't matter what your skin color is, what your social status is, what your bank account says. None of those things. It doesn't matter what's going on outside this. But none of it matters. It doesn't matter if your mom was not a good person and your dad was a runner. It does not matter. God had all of these things planned. You were not a mistake and neither was the Apostle Paul. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. It's like a master craftsman at work. I praise you, he said. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows that so very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. I was intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, they saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed before me, as yet there was none of them. Is that sovereignty? Is that God knowing you? Is that God having a perfect plan for you that he's going to bring to pass? Every one of them, every day that was written for me, before there ever was one, was written down by God who created me in my mother's womb. And David exalts here and says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. If I could count them, they're more than the grains of the sand on the seashore. When I wake up, I'm still with you. You're always there. Your presence leads me and guides me. Back to Ephesians 3. God's not surprised by evil and sin in the world. And the reason it's not going to be stopped is because Paul, God didn't look at Paul's life and go, Oh no, what am I going to do now? Paul's a sinner who's killing Christians. Do you see that? God had created Paul for a purpose. Paul had gotten off track because of sin in his life. And he believed so much that he was killing Christians and persecuting them. He believed that he was doing God a favor. And God didn't look down from heaven and go, oh, no, what am I going to do now? This guy I created in his mother's womb, he, he's gone the wrong direction. I'm not going to be able to overcome evil. I'm not going to be able to write those 13 books. Of the, that's not what God's ever going to say because God is sovereign. His plan before the foundations of the world will not be thwarted. And it will not be thwarted in Paul just like it will not be thwarted in you. Do you see that? How does, how does God do that? Let's look at verse 7. Paul says it himself. Of this gospel I was made. Of this gospel I was made. By the power. Do you see that? I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power in the gospel. God had met, or Paul had met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And it is the gospel, beloved, that changes people. It is the gospel that took the evil out of Paul. It's the gospel that will take the evil out of you and it will take the evil out of this world ultimately. 
It is God's plan. It is a mystery before the foundation of the world that Paul's been talking about. It is God's plan for saving the Gentiles. It was God's plan for saving Paul. It is God's plan throughout all of eternity. It was made in the before the foundations of the world as the covenant of redemption before, between the Father and the Son. Before man was ever created, God was going to save the people he was going to save in the gospel to call them to himself and to carry out his plan to take away all evil from this world. You see that? And your sin's not going to get him off track in that. When you look out into our world and you see what's going on in Ukraine and Russia and China and with an administration that I don't even want to talk about this morning. Huh? You go, my goodness, how's this all going to finish? Well, it's going to finish well because that's what God is doing in his gospel. It's the gospel that changed Paul. What is that gospel? Very simply, it's this. It's the perfect blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. You see, God is holy. God created the world and he gave man the covenant of works and he said, if you can fulfill this covenant of works, you can remain forever, live forever in, in perfection here in the garden with us, Adam and Eve. We know the story. And we know the story. This tempter came in and, and tempted Eve. And he said to Eve, did God surely, did God really say, did God say that you shall not eat of the tree of the fruit of the tree of, the, of, of good and evil? And so she ate. She desired the fruit because it was going to give her something that God had withheld from her. And we have all sinned in like manner. We have all sinned and become condemned before God. And we cannot make the payment that we need to make to God so that we can be saved. God required a payment that is perfection. We can't do perfection. Each one of us knows that. So God sent his only begotten son to live in this world and to grow in this world and to minister in this world so that we could see who God was. We could see who he was specifically. In 118 John, it says the only God who is at the Father's side, he has shown him to us. In other words, in Jesus' life, we saw what mercy and forgiveness and compassion looked like. But it was in the cross that we saw what God's righteousness look like because it's in the cross that God took out all of our sin on his son Jesus and it was in that act at the cross where Jesus's righteousness was given to us and this is what takes away the evil beloved because we know that there's nothing we can deserve that that's met out of a love it changes my heart it changes who I am the nature the very nature of I am who I am has been changed and that evil has been taken from me and I've been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ oh and I've been given a heart that wants to be obedient not that I do that perfectly ask my wife you can laugh at that because she's here that's how God is dealing with evil. And because God is dealing with evil in this manner, and because it's based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ in the gospel, and because if you repent of your sin and turn away from it and turn to Jesus Christ, you will be saved. The evil is out of you. Do you see that? Of this gospel, said, I, Paul said, I was made a minister according to the grace which is given to me by the working of God's power. This is a powerful thing that God does in the individual. It's a powerful testimony he brings to light so that the individual can see his sin and see Jesus Christ's righteousness and the individual can be saved. 
and evil will never overcome you. Beloved, this is the answer for evil. God's going to destroy it all through the gospel. Nothing that was sinful and Paul was going to stop God's working in destroying evil and sin in this world. It will never, ever overcome you. You are free to live your life. You are free to go after everything that is true, good, and beautiful. Don't you look into this world and fret. Oh, fret. I love that word. Psalms 37. I know. I'm adding time here. I don't mean to do that. I want you to be encouraged, though, that this is the type of life you can lead when you understand what God's doing with the evil in the world. Job didn't get to understand this completely like we do on this side of the cross. But it's exactly what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians 3. Psalms 37, Psalm of David. David understood this intimately. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade away like the grass. God's going to crush them under the judgment of the goodness of his son. If it doesn't measure up, God will one day crush. He's already crushed the head of the serpent, and he will crush all evil. Fret not yourself because of evil. Don't be envious of them, for soon they will fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land. Befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Beloved church, I want you to live like this. Don't fret about the evil in this world. God's working it out perfectly. I don't care what it is in your life. God's going to do it. He's going to work it out. The evil's going to be gone. Don't fret. God's got this under control. Live your life. Go after all that is true, good, and beautiful. (laughs) God did it in Paul. He can do it in you. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him, and he's going to act on your behalf. He'll bring forth your righteousness as light and your justice as the noonday sun. Okay, let me leave that there. That's good, right? God's doing that work, and we can be encouraged because God's plan for the summation of all things will not be altered by sin or by evil. My second proposition, God does these great works in and through the weakest of people. God does these great works in and through the weakest of people. Who's the weakest of people? Everybody raise my hand, right? Go to 1 Corinthians. I know, more scripture. Chapter 1. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Keep your finger in Ephesians. For consider your call. It's just a few pages over. You should be there by now. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble birth. That's me. My grandma used to tell me. Well, by the way, she's my, is it Lois or Eunice that's the grandmother in Timothy's life? Whichever one it is. It was my mom's mom. My grandmother used to tell me when it rains mush, my bowl's always upside down. We were definitely not from noble birth. My grandma and grandpa didn't even have an indoor toilet. That's me. I'm not from noble birth. I promise you. I may act like it sometimes. Again, see my wife. But God, verse 27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing, the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
It's about God's glory. It's not about our glory. Verse 30, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. He puts you in Christ Jesus before the foundations of the world, Ephesians 1 says. Not only did he plan to save you before the foundations of the world, but he planned to place you in Christ Jesus. And then at some time in, in time, he brought his son 2,000 years ago to die on the cross. And then sometime later than that for us here today, he worked in the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sin, to save you of those sins because you were able to repent and turn to Jesus in faith. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Notice those words. What is wisdom from God? It's the church, beloved. We're going to see that in verse 10 of chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians. It's what God's doing from beginning to end. And he's doing it through weak people. Go back chapter 3. Let's look at verse 8. Because here again is our best example. Paul says it himself. He understood it. I think David understood it when he read the 139th Psalm. I think I understand it more as I go and mature in my faith day in, day, day out. That God uses weak people. He uses broken people. He uses people that were full of sin and nothing before he started to fulfill his purpose in their life. And he uses them to be his church. This is why it's so marvelous. This is why when this comes to light, you become stronger. See what it says there? To me, Paul says... I'm the very least of all the saints. Quite some words from the Apostle Paul. At this point, though, he had to have a heart full of, I remember before the road to Damascus. I remember all my sin. Oh, my goodness. I went from being a murderer to a minister, a persecutor to a preacher. Huh. I'm the least of all the saints. I'm the least... To deserve this honor. I'm the least who needs to know this truth. Or can even stand as David would say. This is too wonderful for me. I can't attain it. This grace was given though. To preach to the Gentiles. The unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. God uses weak people. People that are nothing to this world. To do things, and just very quickly, that's each one of you. When you live your life and grow your children and nurture and admonition of the Lord, when you do that, you become a testimony. Let me tell you what, if you can't see it today, let me make it plainly clear. The devil hates family. The devil hates men who are honorable men who take care of and love their wives and provide and protect for their home. The devil, devil hates families, mother and father who are married, monogamous, uh, one man, one woman uh, union, covenant union for the rest of their lives in this place. The devil hates that. Our families are under attack. One of the best ways you can display the glory of God and make a testimony in this is just to go about your life living for the glory of God. To be a good mom and a good dad. And you say, well, I messed that up big time. That's okay, because Paul did too. But in Christ, your sins are forgiven you. Right? In Christ, your sins are forgiven you. And he's making a testimony against all the evil. And this, as verse 10 says, and I'm way off schedule here, I'm sorry. And this, as verse 10 says, so that through the church, this manifold wisdom of God can come to light. It might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, but Paul says, if you go back to verse 9, it says, and to bring to light for everyone 
What is the plan of the mystery of God? So it's in your living. It's in your testimony. It's in us growing together, coming together this morning to be the church that the mystery of God, the manifold wisdom of God is on display in what he is doing. It's the church, beloved. It's the church. And my final proposition is just rather simple. God's plan to make a testimony and display his wisdom is through y'all. That's southern speak for everybody here. God's plan to make a testimony and display his wisdom to the principalities and powers is through all of us. 1 Timothy 3, just momentarily. Just a couple of books to your right, towards the back of your Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Beginning at verse 14. Paul writes these words, and I think they're, for me, uh, it comes to, it brings together the wisdom of God and the working of the church. It brings together, I think, why the church is so important in the world. And I'll illustrate that just briefly so that we can see why the principalities and the powers, by the, by the way, it's some of the principalities and the powers that are doing evil. They know they're defeated. And when we live like we're supposed to and when we church like we're supposed to, we create a huge witness and testimony to God's working. Here it is, verse 14. Paul writes to Timothy. He said, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that you, so that if I delay, you may know how one should behave in the household of God. They're instructions, Timothy. Because the household of God is a very special place. It has a very important job in the plan of God. It is the plan of God, right? From beginning before the foundations of the world, it may seem like it's not. But if you read scriptures and you were in our Sunday school class this morning, you'll know that there's not any other plan B that God's working on right now. The plan is, and it was agreed upon before the foundations of the world between the Father and the Son, was to save God's people whom he would call to himself and save through the blood of Jesus Christ to bring them together. Remember, it's the Westminster Shorter Catholic. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. To proclaim his truth to the world. Paul says, if I delay, so that you'll know how you should behave in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. It is where God resides in this place within each of us, and it is a pillar and the buttress of truth in this world. He goes on to say, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and he was taken up into glory. So that his church, it's through his church that all these manifold blessings are being presented to the world. The way you're living, the things that we do. Listen to me. This world would not know truth except that the church of Jesus Christ, the pillar and the buttress of truth, exists. That's become more clearer to me today than it ever has been. 
My counseling here is kind of ramping up. I've become very busy with counseling. But what I recognized years ago, that there are things a secular counselor cannot tell you and cannot help you with, and therefore it's a waste of your time. It keeps you in your sins because without the truth of God, you don't even have a clue. (laughs) They do not know how to help you. I've been working with a, a late 30s, early 40s young man. He's been on depression meds since he was 25 years old or 22 years old. And I, I often ask this of young men, no matter what the circumstance, I say, nothing limiting you, nothing at all. If you had all the time, all the money, uh, no physical limitations, no monetary limitations, no uh, limitations by your mind or your intellect, what would you want? What would you most desire? You know what this young man said? He said, I want a good relationship and a good job. I said, do you know why you want those things? They've been going to secular counselors for a long time. He said, I don't have a clue why I want those things. Because that's the way God made you, man. He's never going to hear that as a secular counselor. God's truth in this world comes through his church. God's plan in this world is his church. There is no other plan. It's where the hurting and the broken find healing and restoration. It's us, beloved. We're the plan. God's perfect plan will never be overcome by sin and evil. The church will never become overcome by sin and evil. Take that to the bank. Take that with you when you leave here today and live your life accordingly. Let that be the one thing that I tell you today that you stand on. The one promise from all of Scripture is that sin and evil will not win. The church wins. When all of sin and evil is destroyed one day, there will be one thing left, and that is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's perfect plan. And there's no other plan. When we see it from this side looking back, we think, well, you know, things happened. Uh, Paul did what he did. God's got to adjust. Uh, you know, well, the, the world really looks bad. I, I, I can't imagine this is the way what God wants. No, it's going exactly according to plan. God knows exactly what he's doing, and he's going to carry it out with exact precision for each one of us. Stand on that today. Be encouraged by that because God's perfect plan includes you (laughs) you're the church I don't care how weak you were or how weak you believe you are God's perfect plan includes you listen to these words verse 9 and to bring to light for everyone everyone's going to know it everyone's going to understand everyone does today understand that's why they fight against the things of God they understand what the church is They understand when you're acting like the church. They understand when you're being a godly husband and you're being a godly mother and you're raising godly kids. That's why they try to wreck it. They understand it. It's brought to life for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. They're not ignorant of it. They know what's going on. They know that the judgment is coming. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according, exactly, I would put exactly according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus. It's an eternal purpose. It wasn't one that came later. It was the plan from beginning to end. It's going to be passed. Eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen to this. 
You want to live? It's in Christ we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. The more you believe, the more confident you're going to be that you're the answer for evil in this world. That your preaching of the gospel, that your knowledge of truth, that your knowing God, that your life is God's answer to everything. Jesus, it's through Jesus as he do. We have boldness and access and confidence through our faith in Jesus. So I ask you, Paul says, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart about Paul's suffering. Don't lose heart about any suffering you might see today. Don't lose heart. This is what God's doing. And it's for your glory. That's it. I'm going to end it there. It's for your glory. You want to take off on your own? I'm not ending it. <laughs> you want to take off on your own? You're going to be on your own. It's for your glory. And for everyone who will turn and bow to Jesus Christ as Lord. Gracious Father, come this day. Your truth overwhelms me. And the more I understand, the more I want to understand your goodness, your glory, your mercy, your forgiveness. Come now, let us reason together. Though your skin sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They shall be red like crimson. They shall be as wool. This is what you're doing. You're doing it in me. You're doing it in these beloved people here at Park Bible Baptist Church. And we have a message for this community of your love. Oh, Father, are we a witness? Let Help us to be a witness. A few weeks ago, we linked elbows together and we created a chain here because we are those little stones from chapter 2 that you're building this building out of. And this building becomes a testimony to you and to your goodness and to this community and to the truth of what you're doing that all the lies that the enemy wants to tell fall flat and will be judged someday. Let us be that. Knit us together in such a way in Jesus Christ that we speak with a roar into the loss of this community. And you be glorified and let those principalities and powers marvel at your wisdom. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, beloved, let's partake of the supper. Let's celebrate.